I'm so excited to, to dive into God's word. And also, I just, I was so blessed by the other two speakers. I, didn't, I think their sessions just remind me how sufficient scripture is. All these issues that we're talking about today are so common among all women. And whether you are in high school or even if you're later in life, there are things that we struggle with um, in every season. But the Lord's word is sufficient to answer and to comfort and to inform us on how we should think about living the Christian life. Um, we, if we have a question, his word is always there to answer it. And so um, a lot of what I'm going to say is just going to echo what has already been said because our topics are so related. Um, today I'm talking about conf- confidence in Christ. Um, and so I'm going to be talking about it in three ways. Um, the first is an, e- an eternal confidence, then a beautiful confidence, and lastly, a faithful confidence. But before I jump into those, I want to um, have you guys imagine a little scenario with me. It's going to be a little fun. Imagine that we jump into our cars, and I say, let's drive down to Santa Monica Pier. Let's go to the beach. And so we get there, we line up on the shoreline, and we're not there to just relax and read a book. I tell you that we're going to have a swimming race. Some of you may be thrilled. I know some of you that are swimmers on your teams in high school. Maybe you love plunging into the waves. I, I don't mind diving under the waves, but perhaps some of you not so much. Perhaps a few of us can barely tread water, let alone face jellyfish and sharks out there. That's what I'd worry about. Our confidence levels would be all over the place. Some of us eager to win the first prize. Some of us sitting down, defeated in the sand, and foregoing the race altogether. But what if I told everyone that the finish line was Hawaii? Whatever confidence any of us had, whether high or low, doesn't matter anymore, does it? When we think of confidence, we usually do so in an earthly way. Are we good enough to be X, Y, or Z? Do we have enough self-confidence? In our culture, self-confidence is a big deal, and it's measured by what you are doing. Are you nailing the current fashion trends? Are you acing the SAT? Are you crushing it as a star soccer player? Are you making plenty of friends? Are you climbing the corporate ladder? But when Scripture speaks of confidence... The word self is nowhere to be found. In the Old Testament, it describes depending on God's power and protection. We even heard about that earlier in Isaiah. In Proverbs 14, 26, it says, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have refuge. And in the New Testament, it most strongly refers to the confidence we have to draw near to God. 1 John 4.17 says, By this love, by this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also we are we in this world. The world tries to make confidence about willpower, about striving and believing in yourself. But in the simplest terms, confidence just means trust. It requires something outside of yourself. Confidence is all about who it is placed in, and it can't be placed in us. 
with our fickle feelings and our finite natures. It has to be in the perfect, holy, immovable, merciful God. So the question is not, do you have confidence? The question is, where is your confidence? Who is it placed in? And as always, we have to remember the gospel. We've been hearing it even when we talk about contentment and fearing the Lord. Same with confidence. The gospel changes everything, even how we foster confidence in our hearts and how we walk a worthy life. So how can we have an eternal confidence? That's the first point we're going to focus on. Jump back to that little scenario about the swimming competition. The reality is because of our sin, a chasm wider than the Pacific Ocean separates us from the Holy One, from the Most Holy One, our God. No one can swim all the way to Hawaii, and no one can can ascend to heaven on their own merit. Only Christ, as the perfect Son of God, can take us there. But we have to step into his boat. We have to count entirely on him. When we do this, when we believe in Christ's death and resurrection, we see that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. It's Colossians 1, 13 through 14. So when it comes to what matters most, you're standing before God, your creator. Can you be confident? The good news is yes, 100% you can. Because of you? No, all because of Jesus, all because of what Christ has done. By dying in your place on the cross, he loved you to the uttermost. And by rising from the dead, he saves you to the uttermost. In every woman's grace, we've been going through the book of Hebrews. And it's been neat to see the word confidence as I've been preparing for this message, see the word confidence pop up several times in that book. And it's often closely tied to the idea of hope, a firm belief that Christ, our great high priest, has secured for us eternal life. In Hebrews 10, 19 through 22, it says we have confidence to enter the holy places, the very presence of God by the blood of Christ. He opened the way for us to return to our heavenly father and for his spirit to dwell within us. Christ accomplishing our salvation is where our confidence starts. It's where it must start. We must have a big view of him. When we wrestle with sin, anxiety, fear, insecurity, failure, we look again and again and again to our omnipotent, good, unchanging, gracious God who redeemed us, who made us and redeemed us. He is a Lord who is loyal in his love, abundant in his mercy, generous in his grace, infinite in his might, and unlimited in his rule, a good shepherd who fights for his people to the point of laying down his own life. And the fact that we now, because of Christ, have access to the Most High God who is seated in the heavens and sovereign over every person and every particle, that should make us tremble. The fear of the Lord is there, right? But at the same time, it can also make us bold. It changes how we walk through this world with its dangers and pressures, trials and unknowns. 
Of all people, Christians are to walk confidently because we know the promises of God. We know the victory of the cross. We know his love never fails. And so a part of having an eternal confidence is also embracing weakness. The Christian life is full of a lot of paradoxes, isn't it? While we may struggle with feelings of inadequacy or discouragement, we have a hope as an anchor for the soul to hold us fast. We see every time we feel weak, a chance for God to show himself strong. He will see us through. We can rely on him because unlike us, his character never falters. When we waver with indecision, he knows exactly what he's doing in our life. And it's funny that Kelly referenced Exodus 4 because I'm also going to go there as well. We're going to look at that same passage with Moses. Go ahead and turn to Exodus 4. In Exodus 4, I'm going to go down to verse 10, and we're back to Moses. And oh, how I relate to Moses. Even as I was preparing to come up here today, Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and of tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. And if you go on, Moses is still not quite confident, right? He keeps saying, but I I don't know if I can do this. All right? He even needs Aaron, his brother, to come help. And the Lord knows that, that he's going to need help. Moses is so relatable. But what he didn't understand and what we too often forget is that it never fully depends on us. God was raising him up for the task, but ultimately it was God who would rescue his people. He not only would help Moses, just like Aaron is going to help Moses, but he was the one who made Moses for this moment. He knew exactly what Moses would go on to do. Now the world frowns upon looking weak. But we don't have to be afraid of weakness. Why? Because our own Savior was not. If you think of Jesus, he was the servant of all who was not impressive by any worldly standards. He's not someone who, well, maybe if you don't know the Lord, who you turn to and say, oh, wow, he's the, the epitome of success. A lot of people mock Jesus. They don't understand what his mission was. But I love what I read recently in um, a book by Emily Jensen. She wrote a book called He is Strong. And she writes, instead of being declared a man of great success, he was called the man of sorrows. The crowning achievement of his ministry and the biggest advance against the enemy resulted in his death. In his most important act, he appears at his weakest, bound and bloodied, tied to a tree and condemned. And yet his talents are later multiplied exponentially as the God of all restored him to his place as king 
of kings. The key element to confidence is not ability or fame or the praise of others. It's that Jesus, or it is trust, and Jesus trusted the Father's plan, and we can too. Weakness is just a chance to exercise our faith, to witness as God shows his grace to be sufficient, and all we have to do is ask him. Confidence and prayer go hand in hand. The gospel begins with us confessing our sin and turning to Christ. And this pattern continues for the rest of the Christian life. It is an, it is an acknowledging our weakness that we open our eyes to the kindness of God and watch him work wonders in the ordinary, filling the gap that is always there because we are human and he is not. I've seen him do this in every season of my life. When playing in a championship game in high school, my nerves on fire, cramming for exams in college, desperate to make the grade, rocking a baby in the middle of the night beyond exhausted, sitting in a hospital room, facing the pain and brokenness of my child's diagnosis. His grace was sufficient every single time. Did I feel strong in that moment? No, not at all. But I looked to him, and I saw his strength, and that is what carried me forward. I found that when we are lacking confidence in the day-to-day, worship can restore it. We take our eyes off, off ourselves and look to him who lacks nothing. May we say with David in Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. Psalm 34, 1 through 4. Because Christ has freed us from sin and shame, We can walk confidently before the one who matters most, God the Father. And as his redeemed and radiant daughters, we can always find refuge in him. And like Proverbs 31, the Proverbs 31 woman, we can be without fear of the future. Because he is steadfast. He is always steadfast and he is always on our side. So now let's consider a different kind of confidence. A beautiful confidence. I'm going to be talking about Proverbs 31 a little bit. And I know we're like, oh, that's the women's passage. But hey, it's there. And we need to see it over and over again, right? Because it is so beautiful. So as we think about the Proverbs 31 woman, what makes her so amazing? What makes her so beautiful? Is it her productivity, her status in the community she's in, her acclaim? Those certainly stand out. But we see the major clue at the end of the chapter, as Robin earlier referred to. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Here we see a woman whose beauty is not merely skin deep. Scripture is honest with us. Outward beauty will only last so long, and it should not be the end-all, be-all. We see the secret ingredient to her inner beauty, deep reverence for the Lord. But when it comes to confidence, many of us struggle 
with our outward appearance. Wearing stylish outfits and makeup is one way women search for self-confidence. But for believers, our confidence is already found. We are accepted by the Father, lovingly created by him to praise his name. Any outward beauty we have is here today and gone tomorrow. We can't escape the passing of years and the wrinkling that comes with it. Trust me, I know. But does this beautiful soul ever fade away? What are you spending your time, money, and focus on? Is it outward or inward beauty? Does the beauty you are pursuing today have an expiration date, an age limit? Even the world knows, kind of knows this, right? You hear even on like a TV show or in a book, the beauty, true beauty is on the inside. I'm like, yay, warm and cuddly. That's so true. But then they stop there. They don't acknowledge the author of beauty. They don't pursue him. And they don't even pursue that inner beauty they're talking about. The commercials, the movies, the fashion icons, all that's around us promotes the material, the fake. And so that's why we can't overlook the example of the Proverbs 31 woman. And we can't also overlook the opposite of her in Proverbs. While Mrs. P31, as I call her, is speaking with kindness on her tongue, Proverbs 11.22 says, Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. That picture kind of makes you kind of grimace. and like, woo, I'm I'm literally imagining a pig with a ring. (laughs) But it's not the gold ring that's the issue, right? It's the one wearing it. To be a princess on the outside while neglecting the heart is dangerous territory. To fixate on our appearance at the cost of our character is vanity. But wait a minute, who doesn't love to dress up? I mean, isn't it so much fun? We do that from the time that we're little girls. I have a little seven-year-old. Ooh, she's got her ears pierced. She is on top of the world. I can't wait to wear the the dangling one, she says. She is so stoked. And so it's not that, you know, don't get me wrong. There's a time and a place for presenting ourselves well. Our God is a God of beauty. And I think that's one way we as women image him is by making beautiful things and highlighting for others what is beautiful. And so that's all good and natural. The Proverbs 31 woman herself wore fine linen in purple, matching her life of excellence. But that's the key. Her appearance is not the source of her confidence. And it shouldn't be ours either. In Proverbs 31.25, we read, Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. Proverbs 31.25. Do you see it there? Beauty starts from the inside out. It's cliche for a reason. Outward beauty doesn't give us lasting confidence because in and of itself, it cannot last. But confidence in Christ does make us beautiful. Christ-likeness is beautiful. Do not forget 1 Samuel 16, 7, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, as they say, but the real beholder is God. 
Second Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. In a culture of Instagram influencers, TikTok tutorials, fashion, fashionistas, we can become preoccupied with our own image instead of seeking to reflect God's image. We have to remember what is truly beautiful to God. As we get ready for the day, are we clothed with humility, joy, thankfulness? Are we ready to serve and love those around us? I know having this frame of mind is easier said than done. But as those made blameless through Christ, the Lord will support us and sanctify us as we obey his word and shine its beauty. We can be self-conscious when entering a room, wondering how we measure up, if we're to this or to that. But a poet said it well. She writes, think of the women we admire. It is not the way their straight noses lie or their smooth hands wrap around their waists. It is the way their leather fingers knead the dough on the butcher block counter. It's the way their words, humble, ordinary, give life as we walk the dirt roads beside them. The way their callous kneecaps creak and fold to pray. Their strong, honeyed voices lift to sing. A beautiful woman is one who worships the Lord with their whole heart. I'll finish this point with 1 Peter 3, 3 3-4. Do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. I, I see a tenderness to these verses from our Lord. It's a sweet note that reveals how we can please him through our character. And what is precious to him? Quietness, gentleness, hope, goodness, and fearlessness. Inside this little definition of godly womanhood, there are no requirements or activities that we're required to do. It's not cookie cutter. Because it's all about having a reverent attitude. Yes, when a woman fully trusts in her God, she is fearless and she is confident. So this brings us to our last point here. A faithful confidence. We're going to turn away from how we think about our outward beauty and being confident in that versus how we view success and what marks a confident Christian. Recently, I uh, finished a book called Rembrandt in the Wind. Really neat. I highly recommend it. And it explored the lives and personalities of famous artists like Vincent Van Gogh. In the last chapter, however, the author featured an artist not as well known to the world, Lilius Trotter. Perhaps some of you may be familiar, but most aren't. Though she was raised in a wealthy home and had remarkable talent, Noted by the art critics of her time, she decided to drop it all 
and become a missionary and serve women and children in the slums of Algeria. One could ask, how did she have the faith, the confidence to make that decision? Ramsey, um, the author, wrote, Had Lilius chosen a career as an artist, who knows what she might have produced? And it wouldn't have been a wrong choice if her conscience before God permitted her to give herself to painting. She could have given the world the gospel she so loved in a different way. Instead, she chose the desert. Lilia still used her artistic skills to paint gospel tracts, but ultimately her satisfaction and peace came from obeying God's call. Like Mary, mother of Jesus, or even other missionaries like Amy Carmichael and Elizabeth Elliot and so many other inspiring women, Lilia said, yes, Lord. And even though she was gifted in art, she had always had a heart for the destitute. Lilius couldn't resist the pull to love like Christ and seek first the kingdom of God. Lilius said, measure thy life by loss, not by gain. Not by the wine drunk, but by the wine poured forth. For love's strength standeth in love's sacrifice, and he who suffers most has most to give. She echoes what Paul says in Philippians 3, 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Are we willing to give it all to God? to lose our life for his sake rather than to save it. Because that is exactly when he does great things. And in this, we are most like Jesus. The possibilities for women today, especially for you young ladies that are growing up to be the next generation, the possibilities are even more than in Lilius Trotter's day. They seem endless. And all of us may not have the shocking call to missions But because we are known by Christ, that we are, if you are in Christ, you have the call to live wholeheartedly for the Lord. It's when we obey the Lord that we feel the most confident. We know we are walking in his will. To give of ourselves that others may see his love, that's the beautiful thing. Whether in ministry or motherhood, in the workplace or in the walls of our own home to pursue excellence so we can point to his worthiness, that's the goal, to know Christ and make him known, to be faithful to obey his word for the specific life he's given you, not the girl next door. Faithfulness must define our character, not daydreams or selfish ambition. These are the easy temptations in our world of instant gratification Instead, let's put on good works, ones that may not have fireworks, but bring joy to our servant-hearted Savior. From encouraging a teammate and praying for your friend's salvation to diaper changing and making your family yet another meal, we can be holy women who bring God's word to life. It all goes back to who is your first love? Who is your confidence? We have to redefine success in our hearts. What does achievement look like in God's kingdom? 
How does he view success and what matters for eternity? To answer that, I would like you to turn with me to Jeremiah 9. We're going to go back to those prophets because <laughs> they're so rich. In the midst of turbulent times, when again Israel has gone astray and is turning to everyone and everything else except the Lord, the prophet Jeremiah proclaims this. Look there in verse 23 of chapter 9. It says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. I remember reading that passage for the first time as a younger woman, and it rocked my world. I realized that my boast had to be in Christ. And up until that point, it had been all about me. I realized my life purpose was not collecting awards or attention from others or even making my mark in the world but in knowing God, the one who made it. Compared to Christ, all the treasures of this world amount to nothing. But as understanding his love, that is the prize. That is the joy. My greatest fear as a young woman was fear of failure. Fear of man was prominent in my life. I was fearful of living up to others' expectations. I was constantly worried about being smart being pretty and successful as I thought I should be. But that was the issue. My focus was self-serving, self-exalting, and this pattern of thinking was not only exhausting, in the worst moments it was devastating because I was not worshiping my creator. Though my plastered-on smiles, trophies, and grades seemed to scream self-confident, I was not at all. I knew the pedestal I was building upon myself was crumbling by the minute, and it was eventually bound to collapse in my human weakness. But that's why there is rest in being confident in the only one who is worthy of it, Christ. It's when my pedestal crashed to the ground at that weakest point when I realized the sinner that I was, that Christ was put on the pedestal He is the unfailing one, and he is rightly to be there. There is there where he is, steadfast love, justice, and righteousness reign. There peace abounds. As you ponder what God desires of your life, trust that God has good works prepared for you. We see that in Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
We hear this theme over and over again. Our life is for his glory. He has prepared these good works. And what a wonderful thing it is to to discover them, to see how he has gifted you. He will enable you and stretch your capacity to steward your blessings. That talent, that beauty, that knowledge, that skill, he will use it to shape you into the likeness of Christ and to bless his church. But it requires that you die to self. You must decrease. He must increase. And when that happens, you are able to love those around you. You are able to glorify him. So to close out, what is most beautiful? We saw a gentle and quiet spirit. What is most successful? A faithful and obedient life. What is true confidence? Knowing your worth is completely found in Christ's saving work. The last verse I would have you look to is Galatians 2.20. This is one that really grounded me when I was in a very um, pressure-heavy environment at my university. There were people suffering with severe mental illness because of the pressure they felt to accomplish whatever goals they had academically, whether they were pre-med or pre-law, people were in the library all day depriving themselves of sleep. And I remember being in in the midst of them and wanting in my heart to be good like them, to do what I needed to do to achieve recognition in the world. And then I would go to my Christian fellowship, um, and they would turn us to scriptures like this. And I'd realize to search for the eternal, to do what matters for eternity. In Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. My life is not my own, I would remember. I belong to God. And I live by faith in the Son of God. I don't have to pull myself up from my bootstraps. I need to depend on his grace in every hour. I'll end with the words of the hymn, My worth is not in what I own. We sing this often in 180, and I love it every time when it, when it comes up. It says, as summer flowers, we fade and die. Fame, youth, and beauty hurry by. But life eternal calls to us at the cross. I will not boast in wealth or might or human wisdom's fleeting light, but I will boast in knowing Christ at the cross. Two wonders here that I confess my worth and my unworthiness, my value fixed, my ransom paid at the cross. I rejoice in my Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. I will trust in him no other. My soul is satisfied in him alone. He is our confidence. I will say, should I say a quick prayer? I'll pray, and then we'll get ready for the Q&A. Heavenly Father, Thank you, Lord, that in every way you supply the strength that we need 
to fulfill the calling you have on our life. What, what a wondrous thing, Lord, that you would allow us to be a part of your work and that we can be confident in that work as long as we are obeying you and heeding your voice. Lord, we boast in you. We thank you, Lord, for accomplishing our salvation to the fullest degree that it is guaranteed for those who put their faith in your son that they will dwell with you for eternity. And that hope, that confidence fuels us in the everyday to do what you have for us to do in the smallest of tasks and in the biggest. We thank you, Lord, that you are good in every way, that your word is full of wisdom for us. Thank you for sharing more wisdom to touch our souls and shape us into the the image of Christ. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.